Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes, your free monthly reading list, and lots more at booksandtravel.page. Hello, travellers. I'm Jo Francis Penn, and this is episode five of the Books and Travel podcast. Today, I'm talking about the myth and reality of travel and focusing on Venice in particular, as well as giving you some tips and book recommendations if you are planning to visit. So, there is a problem inherent in travel, especially in a world of filtered Instagram photos, social media bubbles, and glossy travel magazines. There are some places in the world that are so famous, it can be difficult to know whether they live up to the hype or not. There is the myth, and then there is the reality. So how do you manage the two? How do you decide to go in the first place, in case it doesn't live up to the myth? And how do you deal with the reality if you have to face up to it? In this episode, I'm talking about Venice, Italy. (laughs) I should have mentioned that, not the USA. (laughs) And it's definitely one of those places. I've been to Venice three times under very different circumstances. And today I'll share some of my thoughts on the myth versus the reality. The myth of Venice. What does the word Venice evoke for you? regardless of whether you've been there or not. Arched bridges over deep blue canals, slender, glossy gondolas passing underneath with handsome gondoliers and couples kissing while the sun dapples the water. The sweeping curves of the Grand Canal, the inspiring architecture of St Mark's Basilica and art, so much art. Perhaps you think of Casanova, Shakespeare, Tintoretto or Veronese, or the famous movie scenes from James Bond in Casino Royale, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, or The Tourist. You will certainly have some image in your mind because Venice is a mythical city. As Shelley said, Venice, its temples and palaces, did seem like fabrics of enchantment piled to heaven. Now, there's no doubt that Venice is special, made up of over 100 small islands separated by canals and linked by over 400 bridges. The lagoon and some of the city are marked as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's been inhabited since the 10th century BC, but became more well-known in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, when the Republic of Venice was a powerful city-state possibly the first real international financial centre, with trade all over the Mediterranean. That money built its grand churches and palaces, enabled patronage of the arts, and made the city a magnet for the writers and painters who romanticised it over time. For example, Erica Young wrote, It is the city of mirrors, the city of mirages, at once solid and liquid, at once air and stone. But I'm a writer too. I know how to use language to embellish and obscure reality, to curate the aspects that capture the imagination. 
It's human nature to make more of the places we visit, even if they are disappointing. If we spend time and money visiting somewhere, we need evidence it was worthwhile, that we had a fantastic time and that others should really be jealous. And in Venice, the myth is all about romance. Venice, not quite the city of romance for me. I first visited Venice in 2004. I was going through a divorce and I entered La Serenissima, the city of love, with my dad, my stepmom, and my teenage sister. <laughs> we walked the tourist-trodden paths from St. Mark's to L'Academia and drank overpriced Prosecco. I wallowed in my grief and swore I would go back some day with a man I loved. I wanted the myth in all its glory. So I returned to Venice in December 2009 with Jonathan, still my wonderful husband. We'd been married just over a year at the time and flew from Brisbane, Australia for Christmas with my family in the UK and then to Venice for New Year before heading to Rome and then back down under. We left the sun of Australia for the cold and wet winter of Europe it didn't stop raining for days and inevitably Venice flooded. Now it's not a secret that Venice floods, but it's less well known that the flooding occurs a lot in winter and at other times of the year as well, depending on weather conditions. Aqua Alta, the high water, was mid-calf height while we were there, so we could wade through the streets in the gumboots provided by the hotel. And I will put some amusing pictures of me in the floods uh, on the show notes for this episode. So Venetians have to pump water from their houses and shops every morning during the flood as the water rots away the foundation slowly. And you can see the marks of the flood all over the city. The hotels are used to tourists arriving without weather protection, so they will usually have your size in gumboots, as our hotel did, and, uh, or if you're going in the winter, it might be best to bring your own. Now, the number of flooded days has been growing. In November 2018, Venice was almost completely flooded, with up to 156 centimetres of water over five feet. Tourists were evacuated with children carried above the floods. Now, I'm 166 centimetres tall, (laughs) so I would only have just been above water in those deepest parts. St Mark's Basilica called for emergency funding to save its mosaic floor after surging floodwaters did decades of damage in a day. And that's a quote from The Telegraph, and I'll link to all these in the show notes. So there is a controversial engineering project underway designed to prevent such devastating floods due to be completed in 2022, but there are many problems with its implementation. So back to my romantic trip. (laughs) We saw in the new year standing in the floods of St Mark's Square in the rain. (laughs) We were on the edge of the square near the Doge's Palace, almost part of the canal itself, under the imposing pink and grey granite columns that have stood guard over St Mark's Square since the 12th century. One column is topped by a winged lion gazing out to sea, the symbol of St Mark, the Gospel writer. St Theodore, the first protector of Venice, perches on the other, with an ancient dragon crocodile beneath his feet. 
Criminals used to be uh, executed between the two pillars, and even now, some Venetians will not walk between them in case bad luck follows behind. And as we stood there, I looked up at these columns and thought, if the lagoon ever claims back its land for good, the last sight will be St Mark's Column, the lion roaring over the depths. Now, in my myth of romantic Venice, New Year's Eve in St Mark's Square was meant to be the height of romanticism. But it was freezing, and I'm a morning person anyway, so I'm not good at late nights, and I hate crowds, and it was super crowded, plus we both got sick from being so wet and cold in the floods for hours. It smelled of damp and rot and decay and garbage overflow. It was definitely not romantic. But as much as the flooding made things difficult, in many ways it was the real Venice. And instead of the romance of a mythical place, it gave a sense of danger that a place so dearly loved is also threatened as the city built on water is taken back by the lagoon. Now that experience hit me much harder (laughs) than any romantic perfection would have done and I wrote about it in my thriller Stone of Fire when Morgan Sierra and Jake Timber hunt for one of the Pentecost stones in St Mark's Basilica. As they investigate the Pentecost mural in the cupola, they imagine the eerie sensation of scuba diving in the ruined basilica, marble pillars looming from murky green water and the glint of gold as underwater flashlights illuminate the colourful mosaics. The Pentecost mural itself is a huge circular mosaic depicting the twelve seated apostles, each with a stream of fire emanating from the throne of the Holy Spirit in the centre. Four angels stand with wings outstretched, bright gold encircling them all. So the experience of the flood actually gave me much more than perhaps the height of romance would have done. From my journal of that visit. Venice is past its time, a veneer of gold over rotting wood. The graffiti and stains on the stone buildings make it appear run down, an aristocratic dowager with cracked face paint, waiting for one last ball, one last Bellini before the clock strikes midnight. Now, it's important to talk about Bellinis because I have never made it into Harry's Bar at the Cipriani, made famous by Hemingway and mentioned in Evelyn War's Bride's Head Revisited, only the second and subsequent editions, mind you. I've tried to get into Harry's Bar a number of times, but it's always too packed full of tourists. So it's really better to have your Bellini elsewhere. It was invented by Giuseppe Cipriani, so that's why people go there for it. But it is Prosecco, so that's the sparkling Italian um, wine, uh, with peach nectar or peach puree. And it is particularly good. So you definitely have to have one or a couple whilst in Venice. Somewhere between lies and truth lies the truth. Those words were written above the door of the Punta della Dogana for the Damien Hirst exhibition, Treasures from the Wreck of the Unbelievable, that we visited as part of the Venice Biennale in May 2017. 
Now, I love Damien Hirst's work. He is a myth maker, a storyteller, and that's what makes his art so valuable. And I've seen his exhibitions all over the world. He's amazing. The exhibition consisted of pieces from a wreck recovered from the deep ocean off the coast of Africa. There were even videos of divers bringing up the sculptures, the myth of discovery maintained across the whole exhibition, although it was only a story, albeit a powerful one, because everything was covered in sort of barnacles and coral and looked like it had been brought up from the deep sea. Now, the centrepiece was a 10-foot-tall sculpture of a demon pulled from the deep at the Palazzo Grazi. We walked in to see its huge clawed foot, and then as you ascended the levels, you could see its torso and then its headless shoulders at the very roof of the palace. And again, I'll put photos in the show notes because it truly was just incredible. Other memorable sculptures included a gigantic blue tableau of Andromeda and the sea monster, Carly fighting Hydra, Kronos devouring his children, and a brilliant green head of Medusa in jade. Now, Damien Hirst chose to set his exhibition in Venice for a reason. Of course, I don't know him personally, (laughs) but this is what I presume. Some of the pieces must have been designed for the venues, so the Palazzo Grazi and the Punta della Dogana. But there's also the fact that the city is a fantastic showcase for artwork at a time when some of the richest collectors in the world are in town. The last night we were in Venice was also the opening night of the Biennale, when the city celebrates the art world. The uber-rich arrive in their superyachts, and in fact we walked down the superyacht row looking at how incredible they were. (laughs) And there are a lot of exclusive parties. There is serious money in Venice all year round, but it definitely spikes during the Biennale, all feeding the myth of the city. But Venice was glorious in those few days, and yes, even romantic. We did Venice the right way because we knew what to expect and how to deal with the reality. Now, of course, the weather in May is always better than December, but it also makes the city super crowded with tourists. So we didn't want the crowds of the main island, so we stayed on the Lido in an Airbnb. And the island, uh, which is off the main island, has a beach on the Adriatic side of the lagoon. And we took a Vaporetto, the water bus, to St Mark's Square every day. So that is a tip. Stay on one of the other islands. (laughs) We didn't have to do the main tourist sites. And this is another great thing. Once you've done them once, when you go back, you can see other things. So uh, we We'd visited them before, so instead we actually relaxed and wandered around the back streets uh, in the sun. We drank Prosecco in hidden palazzos and enjoyed the view of the sparkling water on the canal. We frequented local restaurants on the Lido rather than the expensive tourist hotspots. We booked the exhibition in advance so we didn't have to queue and we walked everywhere, uh, even one magical sunny afternoon when we walked up the southern canal side from Maria Salute and the Punta della Dogana all the way through the back streets up to the train station, then took a Vaporetto back down the Grand Canal. Definitely the way to see it and a lot cheaper than a gondola. If I had only been to Venice those first two times, I would never have glimpsed the mythological side. Perhaps that's the truth of any place that has been built up in the collective imagination. 
you need time to see behind the standard stops on a tourist itinerary. Circling back to romance, it's the difference between the high of a brief affair and the mature relationship that evolves over time. I will absolutely return to Venice again, because I now know how to enjoy the experience and the myth has partly become reality. As Mark Twain said, In the glare of the day, there is little poetry about Venice, but under the charitable moon, her stained palaces are white again. So here are some of my recommendations for Venice, if you are going. So first of all, St Mark's Basilica. Yes, it is full of tourists, whatever the weather. And yes, you definitely have to visit. If you love art, architecture, sculpture and religious history. And in fact, why would you go to Venice unless you did love those things? (laughs) So each pillar supporting the church is a different kind of stone sourced from around the world to demonstrate the glory of the Venetian Republic. Look up at the stunning mosaics on the facade from the main square. One of the panels shows St Mark's body rescued from Egypt under siege in the 9th century. It was supposedly smuggled to Venice under a pile of pork so the Muslim rulers wouldn't search the cargo. Now the story goes that St Mark had washed up in the marshes of the Venetian lagoon after a storm many years before and an angel told him that his body would rest there eventually. Hundreds of years later, it came to pass. You can also stand on the balcony with a replica four horses and look at the second century originals inside. The Secret Tour of the Palazzo Ducale When you enter St Mark's Square by boat, the first thing you will see is the Gothic exterior facade of the Doge's Palace, or the Palazzo Ducale, with its rows of arches. Now, it is super beautiful and I love architecture so I actually have so many photos of it (laughs) in varying weather conditions. Now you'll often find the bridge on the canal next to it, the Ponte della Paglia, packed with tourists because it looks toward the Ponte dei Sospiri, the Bridge of Size. And actually I'm apologising for my Italian... (laughs) Not one of my gifts. Uh, Anyway, back to the Bridge of Sighs. It's not actually a romantic spot. The bridge to the prison is named after the size of prisoners as they went to their fate. Another classic example of a myth. Ah, the Bridge of Sighs must be romantic, but actually it's not. (laughs) Now, the main tourist parts of the Doge's Palace are pretty standard European stately home fare. And I recommend you take the secret tour, which is a different itinerary and is special. Definitely buy your tickets in advance. And that is, in fact, advice for any famous landmark around the world at peak times. The secret rooms are hidden in floors built behind and above the open public spaces. Now, these rooms are simple wood, uh, whereas the main rooms are these ornate gold monstrosities, which personally are not to my taste. The ceilings are low, half the size of the grand public rooms, designed to fit two levels of offices to each of the public-facing levels, with tiny windows camouflaged into the outside walls. There are prison cells and even a torture chamber behind the grand facade. The civil servants of the Venetian government toiled away here, the real power behind La Serenissima. And you also get to go into the prison through the Bridge of Sighs. So that is the secret tour 
um, that you can find. It's, it is actually on their website, so you can, you can book it. Uh, it's not that secret, <laughs> but it's definitely much cooler than the main tour. The Ghetto and Jewish Quarter The Venetian Ghetto was instituted in March 1516 and is the oldest Jewish ghetto in the world. In fact, the word ghetto comes from the foundries, getty in Venetian, where a lot of the Jews worked. The area is surrounded by canals and can be blocked off completely by guarding the bridges. In the 16th century, the Jews could only leave the ghetto after sunrise, and they had to wear a yellow tunic to identify themselves. They returned by nightfall, and the gates were chained to keep them inside. In the 18th century, Jews were given back their rights, but in 1938, under fascist rule, they lost them again. Italy was an ally of Nazi Germany, and Jews were rounded up for the camps. Only eight Venetian Jews emerged from the death camps, but there is still a Jewish community in Venice and a number of active synagogues. There is a Jewish museum in the main square of the ghetto, as well as art galleries and cafes. Try Gam Gam restaurant in nearby Canareggio, serving delicious kosher food and also watch out for the canal boats around there selling vegetables to locals, as this is a more residential area. Some other tips. There are so many museums and palaces and churches and art galleries, so you have to ration yourself. But you definitely have to visit La Calamia at least once. Again, book tickets in advance. You can walk to it from St Mark's Square over some of the bridges and see Leonardo da Vinci's Vitruvian Man, a lot of religious paintings by Tintoretto, Veronese and many more. Now, personally, I prefer modern art. So if you also enjoy it, check out the Guggenheim Collection, which overlooks the Grand Canal and features Picasso, Kandinsky, Dali and many others. And it has a lovely garden uh, out the back. If you fly into Venice, definitely take the Vaporetto from the airport into the city instead of land transport. It really is the best way to travel. So the water bus, which is what Vaporetto means, it's basically a little ferry, uh, stops at different islands and also stops at St Mark's Square. You'll pass the island of Murano, famous for glassware, as well as the cemetery island of San Michele. Take comfortable shoes to walk in, as walking really is the main way to get around in Venice. You can take the Vaporettos uh, where you want to for the longer distances, but you have to walk around the little streets, and that's part of the fun. Now, the food. (laughs) I I seriously have not had good food in Venice, but you don't go to Venice for the food, especially if you're traveling on a budget. And I think that's the main thing. I'm sure there's some amazing places to eat in Venice, (laughs) but I have not been there on like a five-star budget. So uh, my tip, my biggest tip is do not eat polenta with squid ink. (laughs) Seriously, I believe squid ink exists for defense purposes and should not be on any speciality board for any region. Uh, It was probably one of the worst meals we had, polenta with squid ink, um, and sardines, uh, sort of fishy burps. Not good. Now, I love seafood, (laughs) but there you go. Uh, Also, don't hire a gondola. I really think 
the gondolas, they are so expensive and it's actually much more fun to get the Vaporetto. Uh, do hold on to your wallet if you walk over the Rialto Bridge, which is a massive tourist trap area. And don't go in high season without booking accommodation and art galleries uh, and anything else you want to visit in advance. Also, you can sit down in coffee shops. So you can sit on squares and have a coffee. But if you are a bit of a caffeine addict like me, you can always get your caffeine uh, fix a lot cheaper if you stand up at the little bars. And you'll see local Italians uh, going into um, little bars and you stand up and you just pay. It's normally like a euro for an espresso if you stand by the bar. So yes, it's lovely to sit in the squares and enjoy the sun and you should definitely do that. But if you need more than one coffee a day, then uh, go get your euro espressos. And also do have a Bellini, but of course it doesn't have to be at Harry's Bar. And do eat as much gelato as you can manage. After all, when you're travelling, you have to enjoy (laughs) some of the local food. And yes, the proper gelato, Italian gelato, uh, is really super special. Now, I uh, also, this is a books and travel podcast. So a few books featuring Venice. First of all, if you like crime novels, the Donna Leon crime books, uh, she's at like number 27 or something now, um, featuring Guido Brunetti, Commissario of Police in Venice. And uh, the first book is Death at La Fenice. And uh, her books really just go deep into the city. Also, The Confessor by Daniel Silver. Now, I love Daniel Silver's Gabriel Allon espionage thrillers. Allon is an art restorer and uh, his um, wife is uh, a... Um, a Jew from the from the ghetto in Venice, um, and he is an Israeli spy. So it's basically a has many strings to the story, but there's a lot about art restoration as well as espionage. And a quote from his book, The Confessor, says, "Only a man with a damaged canvas of his own can truly be a great restorer," which I love. Uh, a, I guess it's kind of a fiction slash memoir, uh, slightly different. Jeff in Venice, Death in Varanasi by Jeff Dyer. Now, I remember reading this um, because of the Biennale. It's set between the decadence of the Biennale and the holy city of Varanasi. Now, I will talk about Varanasi in another episode because um, my thriller, Stone of Fire, features... Venice and Varanasi. And I've also written more about it in Destroyer of Worlds. Now, I found the book challenging, but also interesting. So that's Jeff in Venice, Death in Varanasi. And of course, there will be book links in the show notes. Uh, The City of Fallen Angels by John Berent. And he wrote The Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which you might have read, which is about Savannah, uh, which is also why I visited Savannah a few years ago, because I love that book. And he's written another one about Venice. And then, of course, my thriller, Stone of Fire, which is uh, a hunt for the stones of the apostles around the world. So it's kind of a supernatural thriller in the vein of Dan Brown. So if you enjoy uh, religious thrillers, history and exciting things like that, go check out Stone of Fire. So I hope you have a wonderful trip if you head to Venice. And if you find the myth of the city a little flat, then plan another visit because the magic is there. You just have to know where to find it. So happy travels and I'll see you next time. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. 
You can find the episode show notes, your free monthly reading list, and lots more at booksandtravel.page. Happy travels until next time.